1: Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret, never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. On this episode of the podcast, we have another world exclusive, a very special guest who has never shared his story. Let's kick off 2023 with tour manager Bill Wheeler. I know, right? What a surprise. Now, Bill has been part of the Paul Weller team since around 22 Dreams. His dad is the legend that is Kenny Wheeler. You've heard him on the podcast already. So we're going to hear stories from Bill's angle, the transition to Bill taking on a bigger role. We'll talk logistics, itineraries, traveling the world, and what they have planned for 2023. We even hear about some of the tracks that Bill has played on as well. Yes, he's credited on some of Paul Weller's music. Another very special guest. Let's get into it. Bill Wheeler, thanks for joining me. Quite all right man. Nice to have you on, sir. Nice to track you down and have you here on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I think I'm as surprised as you, to be um...
1: <laughs> Yeah, he thought he, he, he thought he was ringing for something entirely different here. This is... Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, is this your first podcast experience? I listened to a lot of them. Yeah, this is my first ever podcast interview anyone really asks me any questions that aren't related to when are we leaving or where the fuck's the bar or something like that.
1: (laughs) You've got quite a unique reason for agreeing to come on to the podcast. So I've twisted your arm, but there's a reason why you want to come on. Tell me why this is.
0: I can't lie. I am nervous because I've never done anything like this before. Probably like my father said to you when he he started. Um, It's a bit weird, but I thought, fuck it. And my angle on it was, was to basically kind of say, some nice stuff about my old man and Paul and just kind of thank him really because I've never you know, wheelers can be a little bit emotionally repressed. <laughs> it just be kind of nice to say some nice things about my dad and also say some nice things about Paul, because, again, both of me mean a lot. Paul, i just, you know, do it fucking publicly. Yeah, well, and Christmas is coming down. So <laughs> I he he need
1: it. He won't need it hey, well, look, so we're going to dig into your memories from sure. growing up with your dad, Kenny Wheeler, who so many people have mentioned on this podcast. Obviously, <clears throat> Kenny's been on as well. But we're yep. going to dig into the stories of life on the road, in the studio, the jam, the Style Council, Paul Weller solo. <laughs> and really interestingly, this kind of transition of roles from Kenny to you and mm-hmm. where you are now as talking manager in this kind of um, setup, which couldn't be more radically different, I would imagine, from the beginning of the jam and your dad getting involved. I mean, it's such a different industry that, that you're working in now. Let's kick off with your your first memory of the Weller setup. was From as long as you can remember, presumably Kenny was just doing this, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, first actual kind of memories, if I'm being honest, it's a mix of between going to either gigs at the Albert Hall, which are kind of style Council shows, or it was just kind of going into work with my old man and kind of like the Sully Bond up at Marble Arts and uh, just kind of hanging out with him and John Tanya and uh I used to done really well with like the kind of studio maintenance guy called Arthur.
1: Oh Arthur's come uh, up a few times on the podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah no no Arthur basically, you know, if I've got bored Arthur's I'm kind of kicking about doing something or like in the in the kitchen or whatever and I still swear down to this day he used to make the best post but I think it was basically just put a <laughs> load of salted butter on it. So nice. for the reason a morbidly <laughs> obese girl. <laughs> I've got a funny feeling somebody else has mentioned his toast as well. That's hilarious. Oh, it was was cracking. He burnt it perfectly and there's a nice load of butter on it. So it's really good. But he's a really nice old man. So, yeah, and kind of like seeing Nick, uh, Nicky kicking about and Anne And yeah, and me just kind of pottering around, really. Dave Liddle as well was another one. Dave
1: Liddle was the guy that was there a lot. He was Paul's guitar tech back in the day. Obviously no longer with us, sadly. But um, yeah, and his son Andy actually has been in touch (laughs) with me and listens to the podcast, which is lovely. So hello, Andy. Thanks for listening. As a young lad, what were your observations on dad in this role? What did his day-to-day seem to be like? Did it feel like this is show business, folks? Or did it feel like a bit mundane? Or were you impressed
0: by what he was up to? When I was young, I didn't really have a clue apart from you know i knew he worked for a very kind of famous person but i'd probably say how the well account was set up is, is mundane sounds rude but it was kind of like he had like a nine to five kind of job he'd kind of get up leave the house driving to work and kind of be back in the evening mm-hmm. normally apart from when they were touring obviously then you know the touring thing was hard on you know could be hard on me could be on my mum my brother and uh you know i think you know, my dad told kind of stories of like me crying running up the road when he was kind of like in a cab on the way to the airport and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, after a few hours of settling down, normally it would be okay when a couple of weeks he'll be back and I'll have a transformer or I'll have some kind of toy put me, in. So, you know, that kind of calmed me down. And then, you know, it wasn't until I kind of got a little bit older, you know, definitely in secondary school, it was when kind of Paul had the bits of 90s kind of, not come back, but, you know, he, my mate started to really know who he was that had its pros and cons. Now, I, I would
1: guess that we're fairly similar ages, I would have thought, right? And, um.
0: I'm about um, 10, 42. Okay.
1: Well, I'm older then. So, um, I'm 40. Oh, I? 47, I feel like I'm 30s, but I'm 47. So that weller solo period, that first kind of, you know, those, those times of Wildwood and Stanley Road would have been when you were a teenager then. Yeah. Yeah. So again, then
0: that was when my mates were like into Oasis. Uh, and then obviously, then my connection was like, everyone was kind of like impressed. There was a few people kind of would, you know, I guess now class is bullying, but you know, would take the piss a bit. It's nothing, nothing bad or anything it just i got a bit of stick for it, but a lot of the mates were yeah. impressed. And then I started kind of going, I always went to shows, but then I kind of started um, going or maybe taking a mate or whatever. The Finnsbury Park outside, or well, Victoria Park, I get in between the two, that was, first when I went to them. I think I was just throwing up out by the window of my dad's car on the way home because I just drunk too much free beer in the place. The-,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the advantages of VIP. So you had the old lanyard around your your neck
0: Lanyard right? and um puzzle pieces. If you had puzzle pieces you got you didn't have to pay for beer and I had a big of uh, puzzle pieces, me and my mate talking and uh <laughs>
1: messy. As a music fan, I mean I know that you you play a bit as well.
0: No. <laughs> I have a wow. guitar. I have a guitar. I used to kind of Mess around with it, but I, I couldn't say I really played guitar. Well, we're going to come to some true. bits
1: because you are on some Paul Weller recordings, my friend. So we'll come to that. I, I know time. I am. Yeah. And, <laughs> and
0: other, I can't
1: play guitar, <laughs> but, but obviously you love the music. So, um, and you love music generally, right? You're a music fan. Was it, you're not coming in from it of kind of going, my dad works for Weller. Therefore I'm a Weller fan. I'm guessing mm-hmm. there are other elements of music that you like. Are there? Or is it not really a big part of your world listening to music?
0: It was when I was uh, like, again, late, late teens early 20s I was kind of into it but now like, I wouldn't really class myself as a, as a massive music fan which is kind of really weird because you know in this industry you're kind of surre- you know you're surrounded by people kind of love it but I've kind of just been gifted this really like amazing job and but I'm not overly bothered especially now as I got older I'm really not kind of bothered about anything else and I'm not like a yeah I'm not really a I'm not, I wouldn't really class myself as a big music fan. I right. can't remember song titles and yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm just, I'm just in it, which is great. And I think it kind of helps me a little
1: bit. There are people who have been on the podcast from the early days, Kenny included, um, oh, and we? people like Martin Hopewell, um, Tim yeah. Parsons, people who talked yeah. about this idea that, you know, at the beginning, they were kind of making it up as they went along. They were having to find the venues and, and figure out how you could host a gig at an ice rink because these big arenas didn't exist. They were having yeah. to figure out logistics. I'm guessing that's very different to life. For you now. Do you, do you get it? Where is your dad kind of going? Oh, it's a piece of piss for you now, son. <laughs> and those kind of things. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I think so. Like he, it, it, it's definitely completely different. It's like, and I've said this to him numerous times, there's similarities between me and my dad, but th- there's a lot of differences as well. And I couldn't have done it when he was doing it. It, it was a different thing. I think you had to be kind of bullish. You couldn't take any shit really. Whereas now you can do way more stuff in advance and way more stuff very quickly, it then leads to you getting snowed under with multiple emails and phone calls and zooms and stuff. But um yeah, it's, it's different. I couldn't have done it when he was doing it at all. And, you know, that Dad, that's still involved now, but it's like he finds email a bit, you know, hard. But, you know, he's, he's
1: capable. It's, it's such a different thing though, isn't it? Yeah. Like kind of, it was with him. It was like, actually, I'll pick up the phone and have that conversation or, and so much of it written out, on written out on paper and pen and all that. It's just like, I,
0: I remember like the fax machines in the old office and all that kind of stuff. And you get sent like the, um, like, uh, venue specs from, from places and it'd be like fucking hand drawn stuff. And it's like, and then half the time, you know, you get told all this shit. And then when you turn up, it's nothing's what you've been told. And occasionally you get the elements of that. Now, but it's, it's it's rare. But yeah, no, it's yeah, completely two different, two different goals, yeah. two different worlds, two different attitudes as well with crews
1: and. Let's talk about the jam. So the sound checks I oh. find remarkable the fact that Kenny and John and they were letting these these young fans, these kids, into sound yep. checks and stuff, which logistically yeah. sounds just fucking mental. Um, yeah, but you went into the studio. Tell me the that's the story from your point of view of going into the studio and what happened with cracking your head open. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't really remember too much about it before or after. <laughs> but um it was yeah, I think I just went to work with dad and I can't remember the name of the studio in. Really. I I wanna say it was Gnomis, but I don't know. Just remember it was quite a dark studio. And then I was sitting on the sofa backwards and I was pretending to drive a car, as you do. And then um I put my foot down on the accelerator, which was the back of the sofa, and as I done that I kind of like propelled myself back and just smacked me. In. And then after I don't really remember too much apart from dad drove and then and i always forget this fellow's name which is really bad but that, um uh there was a guy that was working there and he I, I think i was kind of in his lap and he was holding the back of me i was bleeding and stuff, and that was driving and i guess swearing a lot but
1: that was one of the things people said actually listening to the kenny wheeler podcast they were saying um hold on he he, he hardly swore at all <laughs>
0: oh, uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah yeah, you yeah, know i have to admit well i think i might have lacked him already um yeah, the, he, he was very well behaved. I was, I was, one, I was impressed by how you interviewed him. And, uh, I was also impressed they did it. So I was trying to push him to do it as well because, you know, he's seen a lot and it would be good for him to kind of talk about it. And I think it's interesting for Paul's fans to kind of hear those kind of bits and bobs. And yeah. also, I think, you know, Paul's fans also have a bit of an opinion on my old man and it's, a fair amount of it's a lot of it isn't as well. He's a good man and he just, for whatever faults he may or may not have, what he does, he truly cares about Paul. So it was always, everything was about what he thought was best to try and protect him in whatever situation they were in.
1: Yeah, and at times he'd have to have those difficult conversations or be, I mean originally I think the job from John Weller was he was essentially like the muscle, right? He was like the protection. Pretty much.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's my understanding of it as well. It's It's like, you know, my old man's always been a big fella. Yeah, that was it. And he knew how to handle himself in certain situations, and you know, from what I've been told, damn, days were bonkers with the fans, and everyone was a little bit crazy. So you know, had to kind of wing it, and you needed some people that looked rather intimidating and he definitely ticked that box I think <laughs> which I don't
1: <laughs> I love these similarities and the things that are kind of vastly different between the then and the now and so much has changed right now so so as a young lad the jam would go out on tour for a few weeks they never did these kind of massive long U2 Coldplay style things which were like 18 months on the road so your your dad would go away and he'd be away for, for a few weeks is that similar to you now is that your lifestyle is that when a what happens are you on the road with the band
0: yeah 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 so basically um, with how we do it is I, I travel with Paul likes to stay with the band so there's no kind of like there is no pretentiousness when you talk with Paul he likes being part of the gang he, you know it is literally a band group so I'll be kind of with them without being rude to anyone designated adult which is hilarious and then um the crew <laughs> and then the crew party kind of travel separately because they obviously need to get to shows early, hang up, and, all that kind of stuff. So, and then it's my job. And we also have Carrie, Mark, the security guard and he's kind of with us as well. So between me and him, he kind of rounds them up as well. Yeah, but I'm with Paul. If we have to have a Sometimes, you know, especially in Europe and America, we've got long drives, Course, travel separately a little bit just because, you know, he doesn't really do like he doesn't like doing overnights on buses, which are great. And it's the best way to actually do the traveling because you do all the traveling and sleep, but he likes hotel, shower. But then that also means next day getting up kind of early, airports, trains, and all that stuff. And if that's the case, then it's normally just kind of me and him, just jumping in cabs and Around tour, train station,
1: and how much has that changed that kind of experience on the tour bus from the times of? I mean, I know you weren't there, but you may have <laughs> heard stories from your dad and stuff where people were talking about the style council, for instance. They'd all sit and watch movies together, like Carry On or cartoons and stuff. Whereas now we all have, you know, we all have a computer in our hand, essentially the smartphone, yeah. and we can consume our own music, our own videos. How much of it is when they're on the bus, they're together and they're doing things together as a as a team versus being sat in seats and listening to their own thing or just doing their own thing? I would say
0: like eighty percent of the time they're always kind of hanged out together especially with the, I say the new lot but you've got like you know Crofty and Ben and you know uh, Pilgrim and now Tom I feel like I've forgotten someone. This is the site I go for it in a hotel whenever. Steve Craddock. Don't forget, Steve just, would always fucking been there, ain't he? Um, they always just sitting around hanging out. It's very rare. I, I kind of go up, the, the buses will have two levels. So normally there's a top front lounge. That's where I'll go and hide. And then I'm kind of up there and I'll be on my laptop kind of doing emails or pretending to be doing work. And um, <laughs> the bit is where the kitchen is and where the kettle is. So, And then everyone else is hanging out down there. So they're always kind of chatting stuff, talking music, talking... Films, family—you know—it's it's all a very nice social. Everyone gets on. There's no dickhead in the party. It's just—it's—it's it's very relaxed. It's kind of got a bit of a family—sounds shit, like but it sounds like it's got—it's got a bit of a family orientated kind of feel to it. You know, everyone gets on. And we're just—you know—on the way to work. And then when you get in the gig, everyone just takes it. You know seriously want to do a good job. But, you know, it's all pretty relaxed
1: and stuff. Now, take me through the day of a gig now um, and what happens. So you mentioned, like, the crew getting there earlier, obviously, setting up and stuff. But your job yeah. starts, obviously, the alarm goes off in the morning, you're getting dressed, you're doing your teeth. you're having a shower, all that lot. But yeah. what does it look like? What does that day look like for a tour manager?
0: <laughs> for a tour manager, well, a lot of the work's done even before the tour starts. 90% of it is kind of done before. You know, you're the one that will everything from trucks to hotels trains planes you're doing the show advance with the promoter so you you know you're sending in the nuts and bolts on how we like our shows to work everything from a loading time it's everything you know you're dealing with a catering company you know what people like to eat it is literally everything about kind of blowing my own trumpet but it, it sounds like a lot but once you you basically have a bit of a system going on so you do all that in advance and then you just hope that everyone's listened or read what you've Said and also in return that I've taken in any issues that there might be because some venues have a little quirky kind of things or you can't you know load it into pen or something like that. And then on actual show day, like hopefully if you've done your job all right. You didn't really have too much to do until you get down to a gig. So it's like I like getting down there early. So sometimes I'll even kind of like I'll be with a band in the hotel but I might just shoot off a good few hours early just so I'm down there. I can get set up and then I'll be doing guest lists. I'll be working on some... If it's a proper... If it's a longer tour, I'll be doing some tips of the future. So trying to think. It's like, I basically... It's another thing. I have to write everything down. then. So every single day, I'll write down the do list and it's repeating stuff like day-to-day set list. which, you know, Paul likes to do that relative... Well, not last minute, but after a soundtrack. So I'll always put in the address room, cut the set list and like before a few shows before and then leave him a piece of paper in the Sharpie and then once he's down to it he'll then kind of either go grab something week or just kind of scribble up the set list for us and then I'll type it up which if anyone has been given a set list that's me and the spelling mistakes are mine so I, can't. <laughs> I, think <laughs> I think I've I got can't. a few of those here yeah, yeah, there you go mate Yeah, I can't spell for shit so um, <laughs> and yeah, and sometimes if they come a little bit late, it can be a bit of a rush because we've then got to print out like we normally print out about twenty-five because it's got to go to everyone on the stage, it's got to go to front of the house, and then Roger likes a nice little collection to yeah, he mentioned that distribute yeah. out to people. Yeah, wasting my printer ink.
1: What's the feeling generally with the band beforehand? I mean, obviously this mix of kind—I of, would guess this mix of excitement and then, but there's still nerves even over after forty-five years
0: plus of of gigging for Weller. Paul gets nervous, and all the band get nervous. Like I said, it's super relaxed. And then about like an hour and a half before he's due to go on, you know, you start I'm not seeing a change in mood, but you definitely kind of, you know, they start planning what they're going to wear and, you know, it starts, they start getting into their little kind of routine as well. Who will normally go down and some of the guys will go down and watch whoever's supporting. And then once that's done, we've normally got that half hour to go. And that's when, yeah, that's when you seem a little bit nervous, a little bit kind of jittery. It's more of a case they just want to get on. And then, this, you know, from what they tell me, as soon as they get on, stage, nerves. disappear it's just that little bit before and so if we have a problem like on stage which is again is rare but we did a show in cornwall in the summer which was interesting and we had like the rain came down pretty heavy and start blowing in the stage you just had to kind of delay it and we didn't know how long the rain was gonna go for if it carried on going the whole gig was gonna get pulled but it's like we've got the band on the side of the stage and this is where it can get a little bit tricky for me we have a stage manager they're telling me what's going on i've then got to relay that to the band whereas the band just want to go now the drinking days and you know have gone away which is a long time ago Paul is is always easier to kind of like you know explain these kind of things to whereas before you know the nerves have got the better of him, and he might have all passed and gone out, you
1: know. So I'd love to understand this transition because to me, it feels a bit like this feeling of kind of Jedi and Padawan. I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan.
0: <laughs> I was just watching Andor before we started. Oh, I haven't seen any
1: of those yet. It's on my, on my list. So I'm up to six. It's really good. Okay. But it feels like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, here's, a Jedi Master, Kenny, and he's handing over the lightsaber to Bill. How did it come about? Did, was it always that you were earmarked for this role? Was it something you were passionate about and wanted to do? How did you get, you fall into it, stumble into it? Talk me through that kind of transition.
0: I, again, I think it goes back to, I'm, I'm guessing it, but again, I was out of me and my brother. I was the one that always kind of went into it more than that from memory. So I was always kind of about here or there. And then dad, how we used to do itineraries, like the itinerary, which tells you basically what is going on for the whole tour. You used to have obviously done in a book. Now, you know, things change and so normally, you know, one class it as the book of lies because you can write whatever you wanted to in the start of that. And then two days in, it could all be bullshit with everything yeah. changing. But there was a period where, um, dad just started to, we had a computer at home and, you know, he's not the best typist, mind, but. He just would kind of give me his handwritten kind of notes and get me to type them up. So I started doing itineraries. Then really my way into it, I think it was around about when I was about 22 and dad, I guess, must have squared it away with Nikki. Nikki used to do, of course, he used to do the merch. And then I don't know if Nikki I needed some help. And then dad suggested me or dad kind of asked, would you be all right? Bill came out started doing stuff. But that was my way in. I started doing t-shirts and Nick and then kind of just, uh, always been about ever since then the actual thing from going from merch to tour manager was just I don't know he was just kind of there you know it was, <laughs> yeah they took me away there were some tours that I, got, I got taken to America and Japan selling C-30 which is bonkers but I think dad needed someone there it was also a bit of a time and I could be getting my time that crossed over dad and John being a team for so long when John obviously started to you know take a step back or just couldn't just couldn't be there all the time you know, dad was then kind of on his own. It, it, it's a fucking lot, six six seven band. It could be sometimes. And he have got like maybe 10 to 12 like crew out. That's a lot of people. And like I said, like I said earlier, I like to get down to gigs kind of early so you can be prepared. But if I'm only allowed that because, you know, I've got Mark one end rounding up the band and you know, otherwise I'd have to be there because you just thing happens. I'm no good that end. I think, yeah, dad just to kind of take me out because he just needed another pair of hands. And then, yeah, you know, I just kind of got more and more responsibility. And then dad. It, you know couldn't travel to certain places and then i think one of my first tour, well, my first tour on my own was japan which sounds daunting but japan's a great place to tour because they do a lot of it for you you send everything over and they're so organized over there there's never a problem it's like if you say you need this at this time on that day it will be there so doing japan first time is good but i got nervous before because i was also the probably the youngest on the I was the youngest person on the whole thing. you have got all these crew guys that have been with Paul for a very long time. This was back when it was, I think, Y.E., I want to say as well.
1: Well, this would have been just before 22 Dreams, I think, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah. There so you go, right? so I went out and then obviously everyone was drinking then as well. <laughs> and I, I was in economy all was further down the plane, but me, Mark met Paul at, uh, I think it was a Virgin plane, and um, we met at a the bar there, and I just had way too many, and had to get put back in my seat, and uh, kind <laughs> of... Uh, yeah. And uh, and I'm meant to be the one in charge, it was really when I look back on it, it's really fucking embarrassing, to be quite honest, and other people that Professionals probably thought what the, what yeah, the yeah. was going on here. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was an. Ner-
1: I- I'm putting it down for nerves. <laughs> well, there are some some things I'd love to know if you've continued to the tradition on as well, right? So, number one, the card school has come up an awful lot on the podcast. Yep. John Weller, Kenny, Paul, and pretty much anybody else who came into that got their fingers burnt and lost, if not their wages for the week, their their house at home, for goodness sake. Yeah. Um, is that
0: still a thing? Is the card playing the cards still a thing? It's not. No, it like that. And Paul's wife, Hannah, used to play a little bit. And then, you know, no one else plays. You know, I'll warn them all. I was, I've been to, I've sat in gigs when Dad took me and I've seen some of the, I don't know what the notes were, but there was a lot of them. And normally a couple of people went away rather upset. But, you know, if Dad won, that probably meant we were going to go to Disneyland. So, you know, thank you very much to whoever. (laughs) (laughs) All those honorary counsellors and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fucking thank you very much, man, yeah. (laughs)
1: Kenny also has a system of fines for various oh, yeah. different things, right? Is that still a thing?
0: No. Nah. This is, again, where it comes from. Like, maybe Dad could enforce that a little bit more with his uh, uh, with his personality, shall we say. Whereas, who's going to fucking listen to me if I try and have, like, 20 <laughs> quid off him for turning up half hour late? But, again, I don't have to because everyone is extremely good at it, you know, they will laugh if any of them listen to this back, because I normally will still dig them out a bit, but everyone in the band's really cool and, you know, just there to just do the gig. so if you kind of say, well, they'll be there at twelve, I and mean. then we're good Paul's good at timekeeping as well okay you know so it, yeah I've got, no, I've, like, got no, I've got no tips to say about people really in that kind
1: of way yeah yeah no but there's so, there's so much you hear isn't there about kind of you know rock and roll and the amount of divas and the I mean somebody on the podcast yeah. is talking about Axl Rose not turning up to a gig like three hours late and banging into the curfew and all kinds of stories like that whereas it seems everybody has said I mean it's very professional it's kind of you know very respectful and ultimately they really care about giving a good performance to the fans and all that it's really, it's really important
0: yeah Everyone we've got working on it now, especially now, you know, because we've got a different kind of crew. You know, Roger's been about a bit and, you know, we just, I'll say just lost bands like he died, which, which will make him laugh. But Anne, Joan's doing school in front of our side for a long period of time, just retired. But everyone, bands, crew, everyone takes it extremely seriously, but it's not like we're all like miserable blah, blah, blah. It, It's, you're there to do a job and everyone wants to put on a good show. Every, everyone in the crew wants to make sure the band are happy and 100%, you know, we're all paid by and we want to make sure he gets what he wants. And he is one of the least demanding people for who he is. He is one of the most down to worth, just normal fellows to deal with. There's no uh, diva behavior with him whatsoever. If anything, if, if he's he's more he more he's more the other way. You know, he'll actively go his way to kind of avoid being doing anything like that. You know, so he's a really good, nice man to work with. He don't like early mornings but a lot of people don't. But we still be there, we still be on time. Would just be wearing glasses,
1: I think. But also, he loves the late night. So the amount of people who have had texts at two in the mornings, recommending a song hmm. or sending them something, work in progress. I think even on Joe Wiley, I was listening to him the other week, and yeah. he was saying he'd been up till four the night before, just kind of noodling around and
0: stuff. No, he's, he's nocturnal. I don't know if I get to the edge. Of it is. I wish I have asked That's an injury. because I don't know <laughs> how he does it really to, to to do you know what he does as a living and with you know his family, just everything that he's kind of got. What he what he does, how he motivates and selfies morning, now that I don't know but yeah that that is the downside it's like you, you know you just we'll probably start traveling on a third around about 12 so he's up from 12 and then say a gig doesn't finish till after 10 11 or whatever and then we might be standing in a hotel about an hour away well, that can put you near midnight again and then also you've got to appreciate that him and the guys are kind of wired if the gig has yeah. gone well they got a buzz they got adrenaline going yeah so it's hard you know travelling hard anyway but if you've got all that and then I'm trying to say look mate again we've got another three-hour drive tomorrow you've got to be up at like 11 in the morning. Morning. You know, I'm I'm the arsehole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I think's changed, uh, from what I can see of gigs as well, is um, and you'll appreciate this from the, from your merch days. Then yep. it's the, the, the bootleggers. That doesn't seem like you'd come out of a gig and you'd have seen all the official merchandise, the official yeah. stuff. You'd come out and there'd be all these knockoffs. That doesn't seem to exist anymore. But that must have pissed you off back in the day. I'd have thought, right?
0: Again, yeah, but um, not anything I could so I can do about it. What am I going to do? Go up some kind of like grizzled nose. I hire that's been doing it for donkey years and say, excuse me, sir, do you mind moving your feet down the road, please? Um, No, you just have to swallow it. At least I was indoors. You know, I was warm. They're outside cold. Sometimes John and and Dad did try to do something about it, and you might have shifted them on. I don't know if he mentioned that there was a guy that um, owned Bravado who basically started as a pirate, and now Bravado, one of the biggest, mer- one of the biggest merchandise companies in the country. Look after Paul now. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, dad got me a job there for a couple of months. When basically when I was doing merch, it was a little bit of a period of time where I stopped doing merch with Paul. But then they got me into Bravado, so I worked in the office there for a little period of time as well.
1: Oh, so they were originally
0: there was he was a bootlegger, was something Yeah, the guy that ran it. That's how he started. That's how dad I think met him, like Jack, or Jack, dad John Paul in the old days. He was a pirate, and then a um, yes, yeah, up company and. Made a shitload of fucking money. The only place where you don't try to move bootleggers is, is Italy. It's Mafia. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they tried.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Never mess with that, Mafia, or no, um, no. or ice cream vans. That's the thing I've learned. That's it? the one. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. yep, yep. But don't mess around with that. So let's talk about some of the places you've been, because I'm guessing it's <laughs> pretty much the entire planet, right?
0: Uh, yeah. We've been around the UK, uh, obviously shitloads, mostly Europe. I think I've been up to Scandinavia for once. We've done like Norway, Sweden. I don't think I've been to Denmark with him. And then uh, you've been been around America. Never across. The, I've never been across the bottom of America with him. I think the old man did once. Do little parts of Canada. We go over to Vancouver. We done. I've done Toronto. Don't think I've ever done Montreal with him. And then- Mother's Day is around the corner.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Asia is normally like a lot of Japan. And then I don't know if he's really done anywhere else in Asia. Australia, he went back to like relatively recently, first time in a while. And, you know, I love Australia. So New Zealand, yeah. He just hasn't, he had a, <laughs> up until obviously the uh, horrible shit that's going on, he, he had a thing about wanting to go to Russia. And we came close once or twice a good few years ago, but he's never been. I have with someone else, but. I would right.
1: so here's a question for you. Can you remember your first credits on a Paul Weller album? I don't mean as a performer, but just your very first mention on a Paul Weller album, like a thanks to
0: Bill. Uh no. <laughs> nah. Uh, I could remember the name, the order of the albums now. What was the one after Twenty Two Dreams? Wake Up the Nation. Copy that one then,
1: ain't it? It was actually Twenty Two
0: Dreams. Oh, was it? Well, there you go. Maybe it's my wonderful uh, incorrect spelling on itinerary. <laughs> like I, say, I would have been doing merch. So, yeah. That, yeah, yeah
1: there there's was a little little thanks to both of you on that. But there are some other credits. So let's talk about this because Will of the People, the most recent Paul Weller box set, I suppose, three albums of b size remixes, rarities, demos. And there's a track called We Got A Lot. So this would have been around Sonic Kicks time. Right. And in the show, <laughs> you're looking confused, but we don't even know you're on this probably. You'll probably do some royalties. In the notes, in the um, in the sleeve notes, it says, this was fun to do. It's got Bill Wheeler on Fuzz Guitar 2, which is rare. This yeah. was done in first or second take, as a lot of these tunes were. So this was Sonic at because it was also on the Dragonfly EP and When Your Garden's Overgrown single. So a song called We Got A Lot. You're yeah. on Fuzz Guitar. Any memories of that whatsoever? And that's Paul writing those sleeve notes, by the way.
0: Uh... No, who else, who else
1: is on it? Well, the interesting thing about Sonic Kicks is it's really hard to find out who's on it because the album just lists a load of people because I think they layered it all up on like, um, digital editing, right? So it's, it's on Pro Tools yeah. or whatever. I don't think they're quite sure who's on each track. So they just named everybody in the bulk of it, but you're on that.
0: No, I remember, I remember the tune I did on Saturn's Pattern.
1: Okay. So long time.
0: Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the one I remember. I remember. I obviously remember doing that one. And then there was, but there was a period which would have been a late night, which was me, Paul. And then, uh, of course, cousins, Mark and Max were in there as well. But I, I might have that one as well. But that's it, Dan. My memory's really bad. But a uh, long time, yeah, I remember I remember doing that. That was done in two takes. And that was basically Paul working me like a puppet. I was just, at that, I was just in the studio and he had an idea and he came in and he literally kind of like put a guitar in me and he had a guitar and he said, look, do this. And then we walked in. I'd done it. Came back. We listened to it. I was kind of... I'm surprised, I still reckon Stan might have <laughs> turned me right down. I don't know. Uh, and then he "Let's do it again. we done it again. Maybe I was fit for that time. And then it was like, we'll just stick with the first one. And that's kind of all I know about. Then I went back in the office. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. We walked, walked in, smashed it. Look. Done. That's all you need. I'm retired now.
1: <laughs> I remember reading a bit about this Where it said on the day of recording Like none of you knew this song so, so like the whole band Not just you and Charles and whatever But none of you knew this song Paul comes in with it And then yeah Like one or two takes We're done It's on the record Yeah,
0: yeah that was it It was, it was good Because again It's like If I have any musical music It's kind of like I like really with anything Paul does I was like kind of The more energetic Kind of rocky kind of song So to kind of be on one And one he still plays now Is kind mm. of good I haven't been invited To form life <laughs> um, you know my fee is way too high
1: then even marco um, reese has had a go on the live stage come on man yeah Mar-
0: Mar- marco was wicked as well like that yeah, but, was um, good yeah he was good he was very nervous beforehand, but um yeah he, he held it together and he's got more balls than me if i ever was invited i think paul when i was younger asked me to uh introduce him but i don't like walking in front of crowds so let alone going out in front of a bunch of people and <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, the idea now just makes me kind <laughs> yeah. and I don't know, how they do it every single night. It, yeah, I don't
1: like it at all. Well, I find the whole thing really fascinating about how they record now it, because it's so different from the jam style council days where a lot of the time, like these demos don't really exist. There's maybe like early versions of things, but it's not like he's coming into the studio with fully structured songs and stuff. And then you're bashing these things out in one or two takes. It's just unbelievable. I used
0: to sit in the, in the studio a lot. Now not, not so much because I just feel not like I'm in the way, but it's just. I don't know. One, I've got a lot more stuff to do. And it's just, um, he does, he just seems to kind of like, because it's his own studio and there's no time restraint and he can just, sometimes it will come to him quickly and you'll kind of, you know, if he thinks it's right, it's right. But other times he's got no time, he's got no time for training. So he can just take it, fiddle with it as much as he kind of wants to. And it's like he says, you've been down there. It's it's You know, I guess you've got the vibe. It's It's a relaxed, that's another relaxed kind of space. It's very kind of friendly and a nice place to be.
1: Well, look, I'm hoping to come down when there are actual more people there and seeing some of that stuff. There was one other one, actually. I don't know if you know this. So the Deluxe version of that Saturn's Pattern album, You're right. On As Well. And there's a song, a cover version, I Am A Roadrunner. So this is in the Sounds of the Studio book. Steve Brooks is talking about it. So Steve Brooks says, There was me, Paul, Andy Crofts, and Bill Wheeler. Bill started playing some grungy guitar over the track, and Paul liked it and wanted to jam it out. So that was one of the other songs as well.
0: It's like, I, I would have been... I would have had a few beers as well. So, and it was a while ago, but I do remember that a bit more. But yeah, that, you know, it would have just, it would have just been, Bill, go on, go on. I would have said no. And he would have goaded me into it. And then, yeah. And I would have felt very, very uncomfortable. And, you know, cause you're in a room with a guy that does it extremely well and who the fuck am I?
1: <laughs> well, presumably Kenny never had any aspirations to play. Was never, and he's never been on a Paul Weller album. I don't think as a, as any musician or anything, right?
0: No, again, my dad's bands were, you know, not really built for guitar playing really. So it was, um, he did use a guitar, which I think I broke, but he, uh, yeah, no, nah, he, he, same as me now, he just never any interest. Dad, a big music fan and stuff, actual playing.
1: Yeah, nah. It'd be lovely to hear your memories of John because you obviously got to see that chemistry between these two great friends, but also the triangle, the three of them, you know, Kenny, John and Paul, and that dynamic, that chemistry between the three of them.
0: Yeah. John was just like, you know, I know John did a, f- a few interviews and he just was what he kind of came across as. He was a very kind of genuine, down-to-earth person. He was just super friendly to everyone. And my dad... Like, my dad loved John to the bone. He he felt a lot of gratitude towards John as well because my dad, you know, just, you know, like you said, went from potentially being like security to being just given this ridiculous fucking opportunity. My dad's forever been grateful to the wellies. And John was just like a really nice guy and they were kind of mates and then they just kind of like travelled around the world. It's hard to kind of explain because it's just, yeah, it was kind of just like a group of mates going around having a laugh, really. John was the manager. Dad... Did the job he needed to do, but then they would just kind of like sit in the room and play cards together. And then once the gig was done, they'd sit at a bar together and just kind of chat and do whatever. And you know, I don't know again, I go, I go back, I don't know how my dad, especially in the drinking days, I don't know how my dad did the job. we he claims he never really got hangovers, but you know, he'd be up late nights and I, I tried to do it for a couple of years and I just couldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so when Paul stopped drinking, it was kind of, um, kind of good. Everything kind of died down a lot. Um, so I'm kind of happy for that. But yeah, no, John was really good. Always really good to me as a kid. Always really good to me. Like when I was older and when I was doing merch, he used to like the fact that I used to bring all the cash but at the end of the night. So it's was happy, normally happy to see me come in. Same for Anne as well. Like I'm still, you know, I like to think I'm pretty close with Anne and the lovely lady that I've got on really, really well with as well. You know, famous this John still, you know, could it's been probably like 10, 12 years now. It's always had a family element to it. You know, it's tight, poor, and the well as I would say are kind of like all of them are loyal people you know they're very down to kind
1: the loyal people it amazes me how here we have a musician who we are now 45 years well just over 45 years since that jam first single in the city right but here's a guy who still wants to make new mu- music we're still getting you know fat pop on sunset but also when you see a live tour those tours that you put together this is not a guy who's rattling through the greatest hits it's not the same show every night that he's kind of you know he's not a heritage act in that way and I don't mean that that disrespectfully to those that, that do that and have a career from that for uh, fair play you know but he just wants to keep pushing it forward and this i mean i just find that remarkable because you know so many of us, it's just you know some things just it's just hard to keep things fresh isn't it in these kind of you know in in any job i think and he considers it to be a job as well from what i've read he,
0: he does but it, it, he will also kind of openly say it's like he's got a couple of things in his life which is like it is his family it is clothes and it is music and he, that's not bullshit with him. It is like music is everything to him. So again, he's, he's focused and he's drive. I don't think that's never going to fucking leave him. And it's not, it's not fake. And he, he doesn't like going you know he said that a lot as well he doesn't look backwards he looks forwards you know you almost get agitated if you kind of mention old songs to him a little bit because it's like well i've done that you know (laughs) if he could he would just play new stuff every single show you know he's playing some of those older songs because he likes playing them but it's like he's doing that for the audience to come, you know he he would just play new stuff all the time mm. because that's what he's into the most at the time.
1: Because if you think about like the early Paul Weller solo stuff, it was all like the very first at the beginning, he was having to dig into that style council and jam and stuff. But then for quite a long period of time, good 10 years, I reckon, and he wasn't playing any of that jam s- style council stuff. It was just what's new. And there's a bit of me now where I'd love to see On Sunset Live. I'd love to see Fat Pop Live. I loved the Sonic Kicks when he did that a while mm. back, which I imagine was <laughs> like logistically from a tech point of view, it was horrendous to organize. That
0: was a bit. Intent. There's a couple of tours that always stick in my head, and I really enjoyed that one. That was good. I didn't like the fact that I was the one that had to kind of like trigger the the intro. So I was on the side of the stage, with a fucking headset, like a loser. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why well, haven't you pressed so the I, start uh,
1: button?
0: <laughs> yeah, I w- if they gave me a big red button, I would have been way happier. But no, you have to come like to the front of the house and the lights. It was like a was actual kind of production. Was, um, so, yeah, that, but I enjoyed that tour. I was gutted about the On Sunset tour not happening because I really liked that album. I thought it was really, really good. And we had everything in place to kind of go everywhere. And then obviously the pandemic kind of hit and it all went, hits up.
1: And I read in an interview that he said that he had some different plans for that tour. There were some different thoughts around how he was going to present the music or I don't know if you're aware of any of that. or
0: No, not 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 that not like he kind of told me necessarily. Anything like that. He would just kind of do with the band and then Paul's never been a stage production. We've done a few kind of things like when we've gone into arenas, but he's not, he, he has no interest in that. He just wants to be about people coming to the music. I don't know if he had an idea for changing day layout or anything like that. I don't know. We never mm-hmm. even
1: really got that far. No, but oh, yeah, it was such a shame. And obviously that pandemic like crucified all of you in terms of, you know, getting out on the road and your job isn't, you know, for that period of time is kind of almost non-existent, right?
0: I am extremely fortunate with my with my circumstances, With again, with working with someone like Paul because he, he looked after me throughout the whole time. He looked after me, he looked after my dad. Again, it goes back, he's a good, solid person. I'm not sure other acts kind of looked after some of their crews as well as best they could during that time because obviously they were struggling as well. Mm-hmm. So it was... A, a weird time it was kind of pretty busy though in an odd way at the start because as you said 2020 was going to be quite a full-on year for us you know we didn't know what to do it was do we just scrap everything or it was like no 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 don't do that because you know this isn't gonna, isn't gonna last it's too long you're here now. in our a couple of months will be fine i think we moved european tours i'd say about four times because we were destined Paul was desperate we were all desperate to go out and do them and we didn't want to upset people and people paid money everything was sold out and it was just you know there was no kind of real guidance so everyone was kind of going with their gut hindsight should just cancel everything but no one was to know it was really kind of odd but that yeah the first couple of months it felt like you're forever on a zoom call with either me my dad Paul was on a few and obviously Mooney who doesn't really you know get spoke about too much but Claire's like a, a ginormous part of this as well but yeah just trying to trying to grapple with kind of with kind of ours, while also seeing friends struggle. I've got like a, a really close friend called Jane Deev, who's a tour manager, who's oh, i working with it on little bits now. Like amazing, a really really nice lady, and her work just stopped for like two years, and you know. Lot, I've got a lot of friends that just kind of found it really, really hard. And we, when you look at government, you know, especially in our industry, you just got, you know, yeah, there's no it. support for the the arts and the entertainment industries at Absolutely all. Absolutely fuck all. They opt out like venues, you know, which, you know, fair enough. But, um, the actual people that keep it going, uh, they don't fuck all for. And it's partially, I kind of find like, I don't know. If- rant about this. But the industry, I think, itself is to blame because it doesn't really have any in my personal opinion. One, no one in the outside world knows what a tool manager does, really knows what backline tech does. No one no one knows really. But there's also no organisation around it. Like everyone is self employed and you just kind of most people falling to this there is a generation now coming through where you can go try and do college courses and you know it is getting out there a bit more but there was no one looking out for it and there was not one boy you had like we make events thing trying but it didn't get a lot of practice and you know it was really hard so to get back out is great but you know it was still hairy when we finally managed to get those UK tours done at the end of last year and then even the early part of this year it was it was you know there
1: were even some dates where you had to like i think paul got
0: covid or member of the crew got covid i was shitting myself that whole period of time because again didn't know how to fucking handle it and everyone's got their own views on it and all that kind of stuff and it was just um we we started the one in october and we lost a couple of again they didn't die but we lost a couple of crew guys quite early with, with with covid um and then we kind of like Uh, We've really got to really tighten up what we're doing and just try and create the tightest bubble possible, which is really hard. And fundamentally, you're traveling around, which you weren't really meant to do, and going into venues with lots of people, which you weren't really meant to do. We kind of learned our lesson pretty quick. We tightened everything up. Really quickly, and it was really hard for everyone. It was really hard on the band. It was really hard on crew. It was really hard on Paul because it meant family couldn't come out. We don't have lots of people backstage, but you know, everyone's got kids, and Paul's yeah. got a lot of kids, and they'll come out to shows. Hannah would join us and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So there's always, there's always people milling about to be away for like three weeks, and all not the like you know the younger kids especially it was really hard on him. And then I also kind of felt like the bad guy all the time, you know, like, you know, guys, got to do this. We've got to stay here and, you know, this. It was so anti what you do when you out on the road because, you know. It's
1: meant to be a fun experience, right?
0: Yeah. And it wasn't. And I felt like I, I personally felt like I was the one ruining it for everyone and making it feel like it was, you know, it is work. But it was just, yeah, I, I felt personally like a, not lonely on that one, but I did feel kind of like you can feel kind of on your own as tour manager anyway because you're kind of like a middleman you've got you've got crew that's a group you've got band that's a group and even though I'm with the band it's like I am also yes. a bit separate but the band again everyone's really great integrating me and stuff like that. but on that in that particular tour it was it was kind of hard you know because I don't like telling people what to do <laughs> and uh, my thing was trying to try get to the end That was it. It's get to the end. And then everyone's got money in their accounts and everyone played the gigs and fans got what they wanted. And that was the goal. To get so close when everyone tried their hardest, it was kind of gutting. And then it was also a bit of a scramble for me because we actually to send everything back kind of quickly we had the announcements out which yeah it was just it yeah, but we couldn't get around it because it's public now but it was Paul who got it so you can't get around that one <laughs> you <laughs> can't really can you if I walk out you know what I mean I've got apparently I've got one or you no know, I've got three songs so apparently I know three songs if everyone wants to hear that for, for two hours um yeah.
1: We have to get one of those songs in the set list for you up. That's going to be in my next mission. Um, there was a quote from Paul, actually, in one of the books, which, as you were saying that, just made me think about, about you. So let me read it to you. Right, This is about Kenny. And Paul said, Kenny is the one who cops the most flack. I think I read this to Kenny as well, actually. A tour manager's role is the toughest, in my opinion. They get it from all sides, band and crew, and at times from promoter, manager and punters. He said about Kenny, he's had near heart attacks over us, me and Papa John, but I love him because he's always looking out for us. I hope he knows that, this grizzly bear with a heart of gold. And I love that quote. I thought that was wonderful. But it does seem, from what you're saying, the kind of bit about flack and the kind of, you know, the toughest role. I think Paul would still say that now. But what what do you think he'd say Ah. about you?
0: one I'd argue I ain't got the toughest one and it is also different now again everyone's attitude on the road is different there's a less I'm not necessarily talking about banded there's less kind of there's less of a rock and roll element there is more kind of professionalism to it so any kind of aggression there may have been from even crew guys there's not the edge there used to be anymore it's definitely more of a team thing so I don't even want to be as rude to say a generational thing because you know we've got some older people on the crew as well but it's just there is a different it's just different and um People, uh, just have a bit more of a professional attitude now, or have learned to have a bit more of a professional attitude. So there's not, there's nowhere near as much confrontation as there possibly had to be. I, I like hanging around our crew. We, I think we've got really good guys. It is normally a lot of laughs. And, um, yeah, it's fun. So the stressful times, I would even say I mean, that it's way less than he has, but what okay. Paul would say about me, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know, really. Less of a grizzly bear. Oh, yeah, less definitely. Less. Yeah, yeah. I ain't got any of that element in me. Um, I don't know <laughs> if you call me a, a sarcastic little prick because I'm, I'm not, I don't have any aggression in me, but I can be a little bit sarcastic. Shall we say? I class Paul's family. I class his family is my family. It, he means a fucking lot to me. I'll forever be grateful for him, John, whoever it was, to give me the opportunity to have a go at this because. I was going nowhere, you know, I, I worked in a fucking call centre. And no offence to anyone working in a call centre or whatever, but it's just like I, I had no direction. I When I came out of school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, nothing. Dad getting me into this helped me, because at the time I was going through a bit of a bad period as well. So it's just, he just kind of got me away from it all. And so my dad, I'm the ultimate sign of like nepotism. It's like, <laughs> I everything that I've got to my dad, oh, that's pretty much all I can know. That <laughs> pretty much kind of sums everything up. Every, everything is down for them. And yeah, I'll forever be grateful. Whatever he needs me to do for him. And I have told him he's probably drunk, but I'm reiterating it now in public. It's like, whatever he needs me to do for him, I will do. But I'll kill a person.
1: <laughs> and that he'll think about at least. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, we, they're, they're, I'm sure there's someone else. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're nice that. But yeah, me, no, I wouldn't do it. But it's, um, yeah, I owe everything to him. And same to my dad. You know, I've got to travel around the world with my old man, which a lot of people, very few people get to do. And, um, I've had a very fortunate and lucky life so far.
1: Now look, it would be remiss of me to not ask you as you're on about plans for 2023, and, and obviously we're not expecting to have the the, the, the the big reveal of a massive tour or whatever. But are there things being planned for live shows for
0: 2023? Hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed, will be stuff. The issue we've got now is just like what what the issue is with everyone in life at the moment is everything costs more. Paul is all, he's very involved in touring. It's like yeah, we Claire me. Kenny, Dom, the accountant, we're involved in, we organise everything, but Paul is involved in that a lot as well. You know, he has a lot to say, even down to like ticket prices, he's very kind of involved in things. He thinks about the fans, he wants everything to be affordable, but at the same time, you know, things are going up. Fingers crossed we can make stuff work. It's what he loves to do. And Mm -hmm. we want to get him out there to to, so he can do it, you know. Fingers crossed we can make that happen.
1: And I would guess, again, like... More territories than the UK would be the ambition. I know Kenny talks about Japan, Australia again at some point. I imagine, you know, getting out further so afield would be the desire at some point.
0: That's the plan. Whether or not we can make it work, we really hope we do. But yeah, no, it will be to try and get to everywhere that he can where he where he wants to play. Yeah. So fingers crossed and same same mirror. I need to get my BA my, my points back.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that Paul's not a massive fan of this new thing, this flexible ticketing price thing. Have you seen this? Where where the price oh. of the ticket goes up based on demand? No, no, no. I, was, I was trying to buy tickets for Depeche Mode the other week um, logged on massive queue of people obviously you, you get to number one and the price of the ticket is fluctuating due to really? the demands of the price yeah so suddenly it's like 150, 200 quid for one ticket you know because and you're like uh, this
0: is unbelievable where did this uh, come I didn't from? Even, I did not even know that was a thing that is disgusting you yeah. know I mean it's a, it's the same thing it's like I said it's like I don't it's everything costs more but I hate the fact that obviously that is it shouldn't then be about like them using that as an excuse to rip everyone off
1: well yeah I mean Blur don't need to be charging 120 quid for no. a standing ticket do they you know
0: come on no. now really no it's no like, no <laughs> you know, how many is in there 90,000 people whatever it's, it just no look don't get me wrong everyone's got to make money but fuck me I think it's been, even before the pandemic there was the problem with you know ticket pricing for a lot of people but even now more so it's, it's not it's not fair you've got to, you can't keep gouging people but you know well, I, I'm a football fan and football tickets, you know, football tickets fucking same as well. So yeah.
1: Well, don't pass that on to Paul as an idea, will you? The fluctuating no, sequence. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I wouldn't even have to bring that up with him. He'd hate that, I reckon. Yeah. So, Bill, I should say so I love the fact that in front of you, you've got a bunch of post it notes of, of things that you wanted to mention or just to jog the memory and stuff, right? So, you did your, uh, as I do, similar thing here, right? We, we like the prep. We're all about the preparation, yep. right? Project yep. managers at heart, in a way. Um, <laughs> what are on the post it notes that we've not mentioned?
0: I'll send you a picture of this. Normally when I do a tour, I'm a post-it note person. I'm looking at about nine post-it notes there because I had to write shit down. So we got one that was. Paul told me or broke the news to me. And I can't remember what age it was, but I was old enough to have done this math that I was actually a part of my mum and dad's wedding. And my mum and dad got married in August and I was born in February. So yeah, I was, I was there. I never kind of figured that out. I like the fact that it came Um, from Paul. (laughs) Yeah, it was in a bar in Japan. I know I remember it. And it was just like, Oh, fuck yeah. You know, so my mum was, yeah, pregnant when she got married. Sorry, mum. Um. Uh, what else is going on there? Um, he Paul was the only person that knew I was going to propose to my wife, wow. my current wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> not, the, not the next one. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was the only person. We were in America in a cab uh, on a tour, and I think we were going to a gig in one. Or so it was in Albany. Can't remember. But yeah, I said I was going to propose at the end of the tour because she was coming over and spending some time in LA. He said yes course, cool. You know, this is a zoom. You can see my face down. What else is on it? Uh, I once got to allow David Hasselhoff to come up on stage at Kintera. No. And the yeah. He was at the bottom of the stairs. And again, I don't really get starstruck, Definitely not by musicians, but it's like, um, he, what, he asked to come up on stage. I was like, you're, yeah, you're fucking David Hasselhoff. I love night riding. So, so yeah, so crack on. What did mate. he, what did he play with Paul or what did he do with No, got no, there? no, no, no. He just came up, he just came up to what? Apparently, okay. Dave, a go of the year. he was extremely tall dressed in all denim so yeah, he asked if he could come up and I said yes uh, Paul and Hannah, I think Hannah might have been a bit more the instigator, introduced me to David Beckham, who I'm a gigantic fan of before this guitar stuff <laughs> yeah, um, yeah um,
1: where was that, what was the scenario of that a gig or?
0: Yeah what? I think it was an old gallery gig at Brixton Academy and Paul was playing two songs on it so um I was there with Paul and then, yeah, got wind. I think Hannah mentioned, he might have texted me before I got down, and he may have got wind that David Becker was coming. And I kind of did myself a little bit. But um I would never have gone up and asked. And then I was up in the dressing room and Hannah come and got me and said, you know, you're going to have a picture with him. Uh, we discussed because we both, he likes pie and mash, I like pie and mash. We both go to the same pie and mash drop and more from Abbey. I said, so I sounded like a full-blown stalker. <laughs> Um, and I think that is about it. Oh, uh, one earliest memory was, I sang a nursery rhyme, I think, to Paul and Mick Paulbert when I was a little kid in the studio in Maida Vale, one of my earliest memories in the studio. I wonder if the tapes were running on that. I don't know, but there'll be another credit. You've already... That'll be me. I'm, I'm owed, I'm owed some money up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can tell what you... you see, he's typing the email frantically now. Hey, Bill, this has been so lovely spending time in your company, man. Um, really, really lovely to have you on. I know so many people are going to enjoy hearing your story and your tale of life within the crew and stuff. So thank you so much. I do have you're two done. questions for you before you go. So you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the Jam, the Star Council or Solo. What are you going to go with?
0: I used to nag him about playing brushed all the time. Oh, that's been in there. Sure. That's back in the set list recently, right? I know, and I am taking full credit for that. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, ages ago, me and uh, when I was doing merch, me and my friend Phil used to come out and do it. Uh, Phil used to go in and soundcheck, and oh, yeah. he never used to listen. But he, yeah, the brass is the one.
1: And then, final question: You'll know. Obviously, the purpose of this podcast <laughs> is to talk to lovely people like yourself who've got these connections, these stories, these links with Mr. Weller. But uh, it's for me to get the interview with Paul that I never managed during my radio career. I mean, God knows when this is going to happen. Surely, this has got to be the year, 2023, and all that. But if it happens, what should I ask him, Bill?
0: Uh, oh, right, uh, who's the better tool manager? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Has he ever had anybody that hasn't been a, a wheeler? Because <laughs> that, that would be really yeah,
0: awkward. There was, no, no, there was... A, yeah, no, yeah, fuck me, yeah. Um, yeah, there was. I, again, probably the same, can't remember the guy's name, but yeah, there was obviously one, there was a fella in the but, um Who's the best
1: Wheeler tour manager? Let's, let's put that one in. <laughs> Brilliant. Bill, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming yeah, on. Nice a lot. Them. All right, mate. Nice one. Thank you. Take care, mate. Well, that was lovely. My thanks once again to Bill Wheeler, tour manager at Paul Weller HQ. What a joy. What an episode. What a guest to kick off 2023. Do head to my website for the show notes to this podcast episode, including links to the songs that we talked about. It's wellerfanpodcast.com And whilst you're there, you can show your support by heading to my store. We've got exclusive merch, our first official podcast mug, and you can also buy a virtual coffee as well. On the roll call for doing exactly that, hello to Grant. Hi to Chris Coruba who says, buying a coffee on behalf of my dad, Enzo, the Biggest Paul Weller fan in the world. Love your dad. Happy birthday. Thanks, Chris. And hi, Enzo. Hi, Sir Ian. Thanks for your virtual coffee. Cheers to Vince Bicorino as well. Thanks for your generosity, sir. Much appreciated. Ditto, Sean Wilson. Hi, Sean. Steve Henson, John Reed, Martin Bonhomme, Mike C., Simon Castledge. Hello to you all. Thanks to your virtual coffees, Martin Glover, Steve Perry, Peter Cook, Terry Vine, Andy Tolcher. Brian G, Mike Steer, Steve Perry, Alex McLaughlin, Ewan, Jen, Brian, Stu Burns, Colin, Jane the Jam Tart with a heart, Nick Kean, Roger Clark, who says, we love the podcast, Dan, such passion from such a wide range of Weller connections. Please give a shout out to our cycling club, Moon Glue Cycling, based up here in Ripon, North Yorkshire. Well, hello to you, Roger, and thanks for your virtual coffee. Thanks also to Mark Zalkman and Brian. Cheers very much indeed. Really appreciate your virtual coffee and your subscriptions. Get involved if you're interested, paulwellafampodcast.com and just head to the store. Thanks for all your support, folks. Do make sure you follow, you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google and more. You'll find me on social media as well. You can get in touch on Twitter at Pod or on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.